0: October the 19th, uh, 2014, lecture discussion number 173 on the Book of Romans, and a quick word, uh, uh, Bill the Cow got up uh, during the pregame here and uh, talked about the mayor from Houston that is trying to confiscate uh, pastors' sermons, and I thought, that's a great idea, while he was saying it, so I wanted to add my little bit to it. Uh, I'm all in favor of the mayor of Houston confiscating my sermons. I have James and Mark from Texas. James has sent me a few things about that particular issue, and I read them with great interest, and I appreciate that very much. But I thought, wow, how many sermons do I have that she could go through? I have thousands. I have boxes of stuff that I'll be happy to make her copies and we'll send it. I, I think she should get it all. I, um, and I'll put a note. Please, if you find anything illegal in this, I would like to know. Because uh, that would be a topic of my next lecture. That's, the comedy's hard in this business. But I, I, I thought that, uh, yeah, why not? Why not send her everything I've got and have them pour through it? It seemed like a very good idea to me. I, in fact, every pastor in the country ought to send them their sermons. She should have millions, if not uh, hundreds of millions, of them. Uh, but uh, particularly, I thought it'd be a great idea to send her mine, because she uh, she would be so brain damaged by them. It would be fu- it'd be fascinating to see that to happen. Just a, 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 not as as a joke so much, but um, the world will never see the end of the age of the Gentiles coming. They will be shocked when the end comes. It comes so quickly, uh, they will never see it and never even know it's approaching. That's not true of the church. The The book of Daniel says the wise will understand. We won't know the day or the hour, but we're going to see the end coming. That's that famous saying that is actually the motto of my construction enterprises. It's gonna get worse before it gets worse. And that's how it's gonna be. And it just recognizes just this, this degradation is going to happen. And we will see the uh, end of the age before anyone else uh, in the secular world even knows it's happening. Okay, we have found ourselves at Matthew 25:14 through 30. We have a list from last week. We're going to continue that list. I didn't get all the way through, not even any of it, but I have more to add to it. And that, of course, is the parable of the talent and our seemingly never-ending pursuit of Jacob and Esau. And Jacob and Esau, as they link or apply to the Pharaoh and to the potter and the clay... In Romans 9, and this Jacob Esau potter clay has led us to Tamar. You might remember Tamar a few weeks back, which led us then back to Rahab and Joshua and Jericho, and if we kept going that direction, we find Tamar and Rahab lead us to Ruth and Bathsheba, uh, and they're on that path. And Rahab, of course, by herself led uh, to Achan and the dead 36, and the wedge of gold, and the hidden, buried, beautiful garment, and that has sent us to this parable of the talent in uh, Matthew twenty-five, fourteen through 30. Uh, just as a quick note, the beautiful garment that Achan had, the language implies, the literal words imply that uh, that garment was at the Tower of Babel. So it is significantly old. And that, if that's the case, that would connect it to Nimrod. And if it's connected to Nimrod, then that gets it back to Esau. And all of these things feather together. But never mind about that. Just wanted to throw it in for today. Uh, we have a list, as I said, at least uh, to go through a few items a- a today and pretend that we're, we're doing that or moving along to finishing it. That's my standard procedure, as you know. And last week, I wanted to convey what I think is the central fundamental key point of the parable of the talents. And that is this inferred or implied implicit. I know inferred and implicit is a a tautological repetition. I get mail telling me, you repeat things all the time. You say the same words that mean the same things. And yes, I do. That's part of my teaching uh, training. Uh, So uh, please don't send me any more letters about that i'm doing it on purpose i am not an idiot well maybe maybe i am but uh, that question that is that is in- inferred in that parable is in the is in christ's answer to the wicked slave matthew 25 24 through 30 and that's the fundamental part of this parable that we have to have and Last week, we had a few technical problems, so I'll repeat a little bit of it uh, just to make sure that it's in the record and everyone understands. I'm not certain that I got it across clearly. I've talked to a few people about it, and they weren't so sure that I was clear. And so I thought, okay, let's hammer at it from, from a different direction. Jesus Christ, Creator God, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, omnibenevolent, and that's a word to remember, means always good. Constant pure good. He has an answer to the fivefold lie of Satan. And, and that fivefold lie of Satan shows up in many places. It shows up in Matthew 4, and it's referred back to Genesis 15. Now we're finding it in Matthew 25, 14 through 30. It's Satan's accusations against the character of God. He, Satan has five things that he repeats all the time. And his lie is is working. More people believe it than believe the truth. It's not even close. So we're going to reread Matthew 25, uh, specifically 24 through 30, uh, with the magic reversible. Now, notice we ended at 17, so this will be 18 through the rest. The magic, blessed, holy, reversible, platinum model. Try a race board. Actually worked as it's designed. So I'm going to reread it since it's so very important. Without understanding what Christ is saying to the wicked slave, they have this conversation. It's at a very high level. Whenever you see something at that high level... Boy, stop yourself. Do not think it is simple. Try to figure out all of it, what is being said there. If you don't have the understanding of that foundational element of Matthew twenty-five, fourteen through 30, then nothing else in that parable will be known. You, you'll miss everything. So this is a known known. It must be a known known. You've got to know it. It's, the, it's in the known known column as opposed to the unknown unknown column, or worse yet, the uh, You don't know that you don't know column, right? And that's the teenage boy column. So here we go, Matthew 25, 24 through 30, just the last part, and we'll throw that on the board this week and make sure that everybody understands this conversation as much as I'm able. Obviously, as always, the cliffside uh, caveat or disclaimer, we're never going to get it all, so... <coughs> We'll just do the best we can. Matthew 25, this is the end, if you will, or the key part of the parable, the part that you just really must get a good grip on. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man. Reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. That is an accusation against the character of God. You should know that. And he goes on to say, I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, you have yours. Now that's a, there's a lot of implications there. First, he says, just imagine again, See if I can get it apart, get it through this way. Somebody comes up to you and says, I hate your gut. And I'm, so I have your stuff and I hit it because I'm afraid of you. You're a piece of garbage. Hi Helga. That's a joke only, only, if, only Dave understands. Somebody says that to you, you begin to recognize, okay, everything he says, I can't trust anything he's saying to me. So don't, don't believe anything in those two verses. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you? And I added that to make sure you know it's a question. You knew that I reaped where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed? Question mark. So you ought to have deposited my, then you ought to have deposited my money, uh, the talent that he gave him, with the bankers. At, at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance, but him, from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away, and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That, I believe, is the knowledge of what is happening and what is being said there will make you... It puts you in a position where you'll understand the rest of the parable. If you're trying to understand the rest of the parable, apart from those verses there, uh, 24 through 30, not going to happen. I didn't have time last week to put it on the board. And uh, being that it is the foremost section of the passage, at least I think so, we should break it into its pieces. So let's start with that. Here's number 18. He says, it starts with, he who received... Look, I got a new pen. One talent. What is the obvious question there? Lots of people teach this in Sunday school. They say, Oh, isn't it sad that the guy only got one talent? It's not fair. The guy got five, that guy got two. He only got one. Anybody that's grown in a family with three children knows. That's, this is how it goes if you're not the firstborn or the lastborn. You always get nothing. You can guess which one I am, can't you? <laughs> but people actually read this and they, they feel sorry for him because he only got one talent. No wonder he's mad. No wonder he hates God. Boy, the... Ah. Ask yourself, why one talent? Very important. You correctly answer that question. Lord, I knew you to be hard. Lord, I knew. I knew you that, that you were evil. because we've discussed that many times, hard, evil, interchangeable. He looks at the face of God and says, I know you're evil. What's the obvious question there? How does he know? Absolutely right. How does he know? Based on what? And you reap where you have not sown. And you gather where you have not scattered seed. So he is looking at the face of God and saying, you're a thief and a liar do it then he goes on to say I'm afraid I was afraid so I hid does that remind you of anything Adam and Eve is absolutely correct Bill gets an A. That is Adam at Genesis 3.10. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. That's Genesis 3.10. So first he says, I know you're evil. You're a liar. You didn't scatter any seed. But you took it. And then he repeats Adam's confession. Genesis 3.10. Obvious question, why? It's almost word for word. Matthew 25.25, 25, Genesis 3.10, almost word with word. Word for word. And with the aforementioned harvesting, what is this? This is harvesting? Farming? What else is it? What would I call that? A guy that's sowing seeds and scattering seeds and sowing and reaping and gathering and harvesting? Who's that? That's a farmer or a gardener. The man who has received this one talent has placed gardening and farming into the equation. So what is this about? Because Adam confessed and was spared Remember, on an aside here really quick, Achan's confession of Joshua 7, 20 through 21. I have sinned, Achan said, against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. I saw among the spoils, he saw a beautiful garment, silver and gold. I coveted them and took them. So Achan's confession is... I saw, I coveted, I took, and there they are, hidden in the earth. And when we went through Achan, what did I say Achan was doing? He was repeating whose confession? Eve's. So here in Matthew 25, I have this third slave, the wicked slave, repeating Adam's. Before I had Achan, repeating Eve's. The woman saw she desired and coveted it. She took. So a key point here that you cannot overlook is that Matthew 25, 24 through 25 is a direct reference to Adam's confession. So why does he put it there? He has a plan, this wicked slave. He is not stupid. Yes, sir. What's it? Is it to get sympathy from God? Is there anybody listening? Yes, if you say somebody's listening, then when is this be, going to happen? And and has it happened or will it happen? And who's going to be saying it? Okay. So why does he invoke Adam's confession? Ask that. That's a, it's not happenstance. Both the wicked slave and God, Jesus Christ being God, Jesus God, both of them knew what the other knew. And hopefully that makes sense but everybody knew that everybody knew that the wicked slave was referencing Adam's confession it is part of his plan he has a plan he has it all worked out he didn't stand in front of the throne or he didn't stand in front of Joshua or he didn't stand in front of Jesus Christ without a plan this is his, this is his defense i know you're evil he says to Christ i know you don't reap what you sow I know you don't gather. Or I know you gather what you, seed that you didn't scatter. What's he saying about God? And then he gives you Adam's confession, almost word for word. Not an accident. It fits a perfect order, right? And hopefully that makes sense. His attempt, what he's doing is he's he's attempting to place God in an unsolvable position or what would seem to be an unsolvable position. Recognize that this is something that the Pharisees always do. All throughout the New Testament, the Pharisees and Sadducees are always trying to put a trap on Christ that he cannot solve. They don't know he's God. Here we have the third slave, the wicked slave, trying to set a trap that he believes is not solvable on God. So who is he? Obviously, he's a Pharisee. And he got what? One talent. Then he goes on to say, Look, this is his final conclusion. Look, you, and if you eliminate the italics, you, so words that aren't in the text, you have. Yours, that's what he says. Look, you have yours. What's that imply? If I said, you have yours, what am I implying? That mine is somewhere. You have yours. You don't, you didn't take, you're, you're taking stuff that's not yours here, right? Right? That's not yours. You're reaping what you didn't sow. That's not yours. You gathered what, that you didn't sc- scatter. That's not yours either. Look, you have yours. See how those fit together? So that means there's, there's another something. There's the mind. What does he think is his? But, it does say, by the way, something interesting here. Um, His Lord answered. Isn't that interesting? Let me put it up here. What am I at? I'm on 24. Wow, that even matches what I wrote. That's pretty good. Usually I'm off by 4 or 5 by the time I get this far. But the Lord answers. And his Lord answers. God, Christ answers. So obviously, what did we just learn right there? That the unsolvable trap is clearly solvable. And, and if you're in a position where you think there's something that God can't solve, then you are the heap of wampum big of trouble. Give that up. He's omniscient God. You don't, you can't conceive of something that He can't solve because there is nothing that He can't solve. He says to him, He identifies him, you wicked. And lazy slave. And then that implied implicit question. You knew, did you? You know that I'm evil? How do you know that? And you say that I reap and I. Something that I had never sown and I gathered and I did not scatter what I have gathered. So he puts those together. This is Christ's answer. And then he goes on to say, wow, I'm going to run out of room again. Why didn't you deposit my money with bankers? What is that about? And 30 would be, number 30 would be where I could have gotten interest. What does God want with interest? What does that mean? Now he says, take the talent and give it to the first slave, essentially. And everyone who has more will be given, and him who does not have Even that will be taken from him and cast into darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay? So, to repeat, the third slave reaches into Genesis 3, grabs Adam's confession and inserts it into his excuse when he is confronted by God, when God has come after a long time to hold him into account. There's going to be a time when God comes after a long time and he comes to have an accounting, a judgment, right? We all know when that is, and we all understand that part. The third slave, however, reaches into Genesis 3, modifies it a little bit, modifies the confession of Adam, and challenges the goodness of God. He accuses God of being evil. He accuses God of being a liar and a thief, and saying that God does not sow, and God does not scatter seed. And essentially, what he is saying is that the plan of salvation is unjust. It's a ruse. God is merely a great cosmic sadist who delights in leading those who believe in him to their doom. That's what he's saying to him. And I hope you recognize that. I'll make this case as I go along. It's exactly the same accusation that we got out of the nation of Israel at Numbers 14, 1 through 4, and Joshua himself at Joshua 7, 6 through 9. Hopefully you remember that lecture. God is accused of bringing the nation of Israel out of Egypt across the Jordan for the purpose of what? Killing them. It's a trick. And that is what this thief is saying, or I'm sorry, that is what this uh, wicked slave is saying. You're evil. And by the way, since the crossing of the Red Sea, which the nation of Israel did, and crossing of the Jordan River, both heaped up so they could cross, both of those are symbols of resurrection. And so if you say that all of this is a ruse, all of this is some kind of sadistic, evil, capricious nonsense, then the promise of eternal life also is a lie. There is no resurrection. And, and you're doing what he's doing. God is a liar, blah, 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 right? It is exactly what Satan, as just as you might have already figured out, I know you have, you told me, who in fact gets a bunch of followers knowing full well that they're all going to die and brings them to a place lying to them all the time knowing full well that they're going to be killed and they're going to be cast into outer darkness. And his whole plan is to kill them. And he's got them convinced that he is going to save them when, in fact, what he's going to do is the exact opposite of it. and That's his whole purpose. He assembles them by the many, many millions and he stands in front of them acting as if he can defeat the one that is coming through from the heavens and he is the first one immediately he's extinguished so fast. It's astonishing. And everyone knows now that they have been lied to, and they have believed the lie. See, the lie of Satan and the Antichrist is being attached to Christ. That's not a surprise. It's the lie of Satan, one of the aspects of the fivefold lie. I've been asked to repeat that sermon. I, I I need to look it up again. I think it's about. God, oh my goodness! It's at least 15 years old, um, and so I'd like to find it before I just to see what I said. I just have a vague idea, but uh, nonetheless, it, this is one of the aspects of the fivefold lie of Satan that will, in fact, be utilized by Satan. And and note that. Almost every atheist, oh, I'm going to say every atheist without exception. I've not found an atheist yet that doesn't say this exact thing, that all of this stuff that God says isn't true and none of it's going to happen. Um, When you die, there is no resurrection. You will cease to exist. There is no God, and if there is a God, he's evil. Look at all the evil. They, They see evil in the world as evidence that God is evil. They never see it as evidence that they're evil. And so uh, that, as you remember, is Pascal's wager, right? That God is evil. All of contemporary media and academia, they repeat this stuff over and over and over again. Anyway, Christ answers right here. Christ answers this claptrap. You'd think that, that would somebody would read it. That's why I want to send my lectures to the mayor of Houston. Perhaps she would find them interesting. I doubt it. Like I said, it'd still be fun. It's the postage element that I haven't worked out because I don't want to pay that. There is no cash on delivery anymore. That dated me, right? No COD. There won't be a post office pretty soon, the rate we're going. Christ answers this nonsense, this supposedly impossible to refute accusation, this unsolvable paradox that is not unsolvable at all, he answers it here in Matthew 25, which is really makes that a cool thing. Um, he refutes the accusation that God is the author of sin and God is the author of evil and there is no good solution to sin, that there is no free will, blah, blah, blah. As you know, I used to have people come here for the express purposes of arguing this with me. They never knew that Matthew 25, the parable of the talents, destroyed their position. Never knew that. They don't, they're not here anymore. They all left. Do they still believe what they believe? Yes, they love what they believe. It has a elitism element to it. The, what I mean by that is they say, I have been chosen by God for eternal life. You have been chosen by God for eternal death. Nanny nanny foo-foo. I have, I'm one of the chosen ones. You're not. Pfft. That's what they do. Word for word, especially the part. <laughs> I wish I was kidding, but they really do think that. And I say to them, that can't be true. You have God as arbitrary and capricious and unthoughtful. It's all luck. There is no luck. There's will. There's belief. Anyway, Christ answers it with this question that I'm... It's implicit again. It's inferred in the text. It's not actually there. He... To me, it is obvious, but it may not be to you. So I I word it this way. Christ says back to him, after this, Lord I knew, re-sown, gathered, not scattered, I was afraid, so I hid. Adam, look, you have yours. Christ answers this paradox that he puts in front of him. Because that's what that is. That is an unsolvable paradox. According to the Pharisee, it is. According to Satan, it is. But Satan by the way, always knew it was solvable. That's why it's called the lie of Satan. Many people think Satan believes his own lies. I don't think so. So if he doesn't believe it and still lies, why is he lying? What's the motive of Satan? Well, you wicked. You lazy. Next week I'm going to apply this unsolvable paradox to Satan himself. Not this week. Christ says, if you knew, if you were positive, if you're absolutely sure that I, God, am the origin of all sin, I made sin, if you really think that's true, I'm the evil one. I'm the one that made evil. I'm the one that put evil into the earth, into man, into everything. If you believe that that's what I did, then why did you bury and hide the talent? And that's the key, I believe, I'm submitting to you to the whole parable. Once you understand that's what he's saying back to him. You see, the third slave hid the talent for two reasons, Christ says, because he's wicked reason 1 and reason 2 he was certain of the opposite of what he said he was certain that god is good omnibenevolent benevolence he knew that god was always good is never not good he knew that that's why he hid the talent i can't repeat that enough knowing without a doubt that god is good and nonetheless being wicked. Knowing perfectly well the character of God, nonetheless wanting people to perish. The fact that the talent was hidden demonstrates premeditation on the part of the third slave. The third slave intends, therefore, by logical extension, to sabotage God's plan of salvation. By the way, that also explains... Joshua's situation with the dead 36 back in Joshua 7, right? For those of you who are wondering how this all kind of fits together, for those who who you cherry-pick one or two sermons, that will make no sense to you at all. That's okay. So, you see, the talent is not hidden because the third slave knew God was evil. That's a lie. Everything in this... In nineteen through twenty three is not true, and no one believes it, and everyone knows the other one doesn 't believe it. Back to what Dave is saying about who 's it for then So the talent is not hidden because the third slave knew God was evil it 's instead hidden because the the slave knew the opposite knew that God was good and loving and merciful. It's then the plan of the third slave to deny the offer of God's gift of salvation, the goodness of the gift of salvation to anyone that he could. The slave said, I can't let anybody know what I know. I have to hide this. Does that make sense? And consider that for a moment. A man is given proof of God's grace, of God's goodness, of God's free gift of eternal life, of God's redemption. God's blood, and the man immediately buries it, hides it. What kind of man does this? Who thinks like this? As I said last Sunday, if he thought it was worthless, or if he thought it was untrue, or if he thought really thought that God was evil, then he would have what? Tried to make a profit off of it for himself, discarded it, treated it as one would treat trash. If he was convinced that God wasn't coming back, why would he bury it? But no, the third slave, God calls him lazy. Now don't, don't get confused by that. Lazy is God's word here. He's using it. So what do you have to know? You can't anthropomorphize and put our laziness into it. God calls him lazy. Lazy with respect to what? A specific laziness or a general laziness? I'm telling you it's a specific laziness. The third slave, a wicked, lazy man, goes to the effort of burying and hiding what he was given. Went and hid, it says. Just no interruption. Took it, went and hid. Didn't wait, didn't consider any other options, quickly buried the talent. As soon as he got it, he went and buried it and hid it making certain that no one in his sphere of influence would find it or know of its existence, none of his family, none of his friends, none would be told of it. Just take it and hide it. That's his response. God says, here's your one talent, take it, hide it, bury it, get rid of it. And again, he hid it because he knew what it was. And he knew what it could do. And he knew why he was given it. And he knew what would happen if he didn't hide it. What would it do? It would save the lost. And he didn't want that. And Christ makes that clear, essentially saying to the third slave, if you really believed that this salvation was impossible, that there is no solution to sin which is what your paradox here on the board is trying to uh, uh, trying to put forth. And that if you really believe that I'm evil, then why did you hide the talent? It makes no sense to hide it if God is truly evil. Because if God is truly evil, then there is no hope. There isn't any rewards. Nobody gets anything. To be evil means that you are fundamentally marinated in lies. God is, if he is evil, then everything God says is a lie. So there would be no sense in hiding it if you really believe that God is truly evil. Ironically, the burying and the hiding of the talent by the wicked slave becomes evidence that God is love, as 1 John says. His goodness, it testifies of the the truth of his salvation. The fact that the wicked man hid it. Tells you that it's true. The wicked slave desires that man perish. Again, who thinks like that? Who desires that all men perish? One side, God's side, desires that none perish. There's another side that desires that all perish. Who is hoping for, wishing for, doing everything they can to make sure you perish? Who thinks like this? Consider also, suppose Christ, God, had given the wicked slave, suppose he gave him five talents instead of one talent. What would have been the result? Pretty obvious, isn't it? The wicked man would have had to dig more holes. He'd have buried all five of them, wouldn't he? For those of you, and I know it's none of you, so this is for the internet. For those of you who had sympathy for the third slave, who read this parable and have concluded through the years that Christ, by the way, most common review I get that I can read that Christ was unfair. He gave the wicked man fewer talents. Many actually read Matthew twenty-five, fourteen through 30 and accuse Christ of causing the wicked man to hide the talent by not giving him enough. Should have given everybody five. What do we call that nowadays? That's right, communism. Never mind. <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble for that. But I really hope the Houston mayor hears that. And that, by the way, that thought process that by giving him one talent, God caused him to be wicked. That is exactly what the wicked man ultimately is saying to God. You have caused me to be wicked because you're the source of wickedness. I had no choice but to be evil because you are the origin of evil, the source of evil. Salvation is an illusion. So you caused me to be this way. Therefore, you can't what? Hold me accountable. Anyway. If you find yourself sympathizing with the wicked slave, start over. You're you're opposite you of what you should be and where you should be. If God had given the wicked man, let's just up the ante here, make it absurd. He gives him a hundred talents. thousand talents. Just to make it obvious, make the point obvious. The thief would not have only buried and hid all of the thousand or hundred talents that he had he would have done what? Done what at his, at his, at his trial? He would have said what? You gave me a thousand talents. I hit all one thousand of it. That proves you're evil. You see that logic? You're looking at me like you always do and I should film you sometime because I could put that on the internet. That would get some downloads. Maybe it wouldn't be. See, it's really logical, because he would say, look, you gave me a thousand talents. You knew I was going to hide them. So you knowingly gave a thousand talents to somebody that you knew would not destroy them. Therefore, I was able to hide a thousand talents. That meant people didn't hear about them because I was able to keep people from hearing about them. And you're the one that gave it to somebody that you knew would hide them. So therefore, you were intentionally hiding your own salvation. So you're what? See how it works? He accuses God of being complicit in destroying his own plan of salvation. That's what would happen. The more talents I give him, the more complicit God is in causing man to perish. Or that would be the logic. Suppose that God gave the man no talents. What would be, listen, the Pharisees are, are nothing but resilient and resourceful. Now I give him none. Null. No. Zero talents. What would be the accusation? Then God is declared for being evil for giving him none. Because if he doesn't give him any, then he's condemning a man without giving them any hope, a chance of repentance, right? So that's their unsolvable conundrum paradox that they're putting in front of Christ. And that last one is very popular thinking. That man, that God is in fact condemning men without giving them hope or a chance to repent. It's hopeless. They've been created for the sole purpose of condemnation. What I call, and so are children, that's what I call the, the daycare in the lake of fire. Child care. And that that's very popular thinking. You can find it in 20 churches in this city I can think of off top of my head. It's wrong. It's completely wrong. But wrong is indeed popular. People love being wrong. Remember Romans one twenty. You don't have to turn. I'll read it to you. I wrote it down myself so that I'd have it here without having to flip because I knew I'd be out of time. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen. Understood by the things that are made. We are included in that sentence. We are things that are made. So, we see His invisible attributes clearly. We understand it. Even, we see, we even see His eternal power and Godhead. So that they are without excuse, it says. They are without excuse. What's the obvious question? Who's the they in that sentence? Who are the they? He goes on it goes on to say, Because although they knew God They did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. That's Romans one twenty through 21, and I hope you can see how it fits exactly with Matthew 25. Though they knew they didn't glorify God, why not? They knew what was true. They know. I've talked to them. They write me letters. I've had people say, I know God is good. I know Christ is God. I know Christ is creator. I don't care. Why don't you care? And I'll lie to everybody I can. I've had it. Fifteen, twenty-five, hundred times. Why don't you glorify God? If you know he's good, why don't you, this will get me in trouble, choose good. Believe in good. Why don't you? How do we glorify God? We believe in the name of Jesus Christ, 1 John 3.23. Nor were they thankful. For Thankful is a wonderful word there. When you're thankful, what are you thankful for? Something that you were given. You were given something by somebody who had it. And you were thankful for it. So back we are to this talent, this, this gold, this very heavy, 6,000 day, I've estimated that this could be as heavy as 7,500 pounds. He gives five of those to one guy, he gives two to another, he gives one to a third. It's heavy, very heavy. The, the implication of the Hebrew word, a Greek word, I'm sorry, is this weight that's there. So what is this heavy talent that we all get? And I admit some disagree with my 7,500 pounds, but regardless, everyone agrees that the talent is very, very heavy. You don't carry it around easy. So what is it? Have you decided? Because that's the plan, right? We have to define what talent, we know it's a symbol. And it has attributes. And we're trying to figure out what it is. And it's given to each one according to their ability. What's ability? It's heavy. It's God's property. It belongs to Him alone. It's His. We're given it. We are held accountable for what we do with it. Some are given more than others. And for those that do well with it, are good and faithful, they're made rulers, they enter into joy, eternal life with Christ. And the reward is identically the same, irrespective of the number of gained talents. And that, by the way, will tie us to the workers in the field, the ones that come just before the horn blows. They get the exact same wages as the ones that have been in the field all day. So now you go back and forth with that. A parable and you compare and you figure out what this talent is. The reward is identical irrespective of the number of gained talents. Others, however, <laughs> are wicked. They're lazy. They hide the talent that they're given that belongs to God. So now we know the talent can be hidden. It can be buried. It's heavy. It can be buried. And some choose to hide it. And at the accounting, that which they is hidden is taken from them and given to another, who already has a lot. So the talent can be taken, whatever it is. And obviously, as I said, Romans 1:20 20 through 21 is describing the parable of Matthew 25:14 through30. The excuse of the wicked slave will be rejected. There are none with an excuse. It doesn't stand. God has an answer. That is a shock. People don't believe God has an answer to what they perceive as this paradox of evil and free will. He does have an answer. It works perfectly. It's the Matthew 4, it's the Genesis 15 solution to sin. His answer was to add humanity and come and sacrifice himself. And by the way, this I was afraid lie. The people will compare that to Adam and say it's identical to Adam. Adam was afraid of God because he thought God was evil, and he was afraid God was going to hurt him, and just like this guy. No. Smack yourself in the forehead. What was Adam afraid of? Was he afraid of God? No, he knew God was good. He was afraid of losing Eve. If you haven't heard those lectures, they're on the Internet. Send them to the mayor of Houston. The wicked slave says he's afraid because God is evil. That is not what Adam is saying. I need to address that probably next week. Obviously, hiding the talent, when you hide the talent, is because you hate God and you hate people that believe in God who take the talent. You're doing the opposite of what the other people are doing. If you could run over and bury theirs, you would, right? If you're one of these barriers, So, hiding the talent is hate for God and hate for others. Therefore, not hiding it is what? Love for God and love for others. How does God define love? If you love somebody, what do you do? You tell them the truth. Try to get them to, you do what you can. You know it is God through you. You know that it is His power. You have this weight to love people. And then at the end, well done is referencing the results of a good method from a trustworthy, faithful slave. So there is a good, loving method that utilizes the gift of God's possession a well-known radio commentator often says i hear him say it almost every time i turn turn on the radio talent on loan from god and every time he says it i've always asked myself i wonder if he knows what he's saying i always thought i wondered uh, one of these days i was going to send him a note i know he gets lots of mail and he wouldn't find mine but i wondered if he knew that he that matthew 25:14-30 has the definition of talent. I doubt that he understands the definition of talent. I know his brother writes books. So hopefully somebody will tell him what his job is. God's definition of talent. Now, I'll give you some ideas because we're shutting down. Some say the talent of Matthew 25, 14, 30 is existence. Some say that it is free will. Some say it's wisdom. Some say that it is the knowledge and scripture itself, the knowledge of scripture and scripture. Some say it's salvation, how they do it. Can your salvation be taken from you? Given to somebody else? Okay, so we get rid of that one. But it has a, what's called a salvific implication. That's a word. No one should ever know. What about ability? Some say that ability is time. Some say that it is a free will response. Obviously, the wicked slave was lazy. So ability and lazy have a connection. Lazy uh, is God's definition. Is lazy unwilling? If it's unwilling, why is he unwilling? Now you are back into self-focused, self-centered, hedonistic, and narcissistic uh, concepts, or what we call the Helgenites. So, there are some of the issues we'll cover next week. The major clues, your papers on uh, the definition of talent and ability will be uh, collected, and the grading is on a curve. That's because that's how God Seems to do it, thankfully. That's a joke. Don't write me. Let's rise and be dismissed.